0: Hi, this is Stephen Bryan and I want to welcome you to episode 17 of the RelativityChallenge.com podcast. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at Einstein's 1905 Special Relativity Theory derivation, and the way we're going to do this is we're going to create a modernized version of it. Basically, we're going to create a version of his derivation using formal function specifications, and then we're going to look at his derivation, which is which uses informal function specifications, and compare and contrast the two. Uh, in the process, I hope to highlight a couple of problems with his derivation that we can then discuss and address. Part of the reason I wanted to do this episode today we have built up, I think, a pretty good base of knowledge through the first 16 episodes that allow us to walk through Einstein's derivation and really understand what's going on. So our objectives today are number one, increase your understanding of section three of Einstein's 1905 derivation number two is to walk through section three twice we're going to use a modern modernized version which is basically a version that uses the formal specifications and uh, we're also going to look at einstein's original derivation which is uses informal function specifications and then of course we're going to wrap up with a summary of some of the key problems in einstein's original ner- derivation now, just a note I'd like to bring to your attention. We're focused on the mathematics today. I am not trying to modify the text or the supporting description around Einstein's work. So for those of you who, again, are trying to understand what Einstein wrote, please take what he wrote and, and understand it from that perspective. But hopefully the math and the descriptions that we walk through today will just increase your understanding of what's going on. Now, I'm going to use some terminology uh, that I've become comfortable with and hopefully the listeners and watchers of the podcast are comfortable with as well. So I'm going to assume that you're familiar with the following episodes of of the podcast series, in particular, episode eight, where we talk about tau being a function. In fact, that's probably out of all of the ones listed, that's probably the most important one. to either review or be comfortable with in order to get through today's video. So with that said, let's take a look at Einstein's 1905 derivation. We're going to jump in into section three, just as he starts to get going with the derivation. So one of the first things he says, and he says it in the text, is that x prime equals x minus vt. Now, I want to bring this to your attention because we use this later on in the derivation. And because it's embedded in the text, It's hard to see, and sometimes it's overlooked. I know that a number of people have emailed me over the course of the past several years and have said Einstein doesn't make the statement in his derivation, (laughs) and I have to send back a nice little screenshot uh, with this text highlighted and say, actually he does, and this is where he says it. So I wanna bring it to your attention because it is very easy to miss. The second thing I wanna show is that he has some instance variables here, uh, tau sub 0, tau sub 1, and tau sub 2. These instance variables he just uses, um, and you can relate them to the three different invocations that he has of the tau function. And again, we, we have to think of instance variables as the result of invoking the function. So it has a value that's based on the values that were passed to the function. So now what, we, what we're gonna start with is the modernized version. Basically the, the version with formal specification. We're gonna go all the way through it and then we're gonna come back and look at Einstein's work. So basically section three of his paper says that tau is a linear function and he gives us the function specification, the function definition. Um, so he, we have the function name, we have the parameters that will get passed and we have the function body. Now I have written this function twice. And the reason I've done that is because both of these functions are the same thing. Now, it's really important to recognize that you could either use the top function or you could use the bottom function. They're the same thing. It's no different than writing them in a different font, perhaps a blue color or a red color. Now. Part of the reason I want it to do this is I'm going to ask you to use the second function definition versus the first. And the reason for that is if you use the second one, it will make it impossible for you to make the simplification error that Einstein makes in his paper. If you use the first one, you might make the same mistake, although we'll be talking about that later on. The second thing that's important about this function specification is what does this function do? Remember, you're giving it four arguments, a first argument, a second argument, a third argument and a fourth argument. Um, And so if you understand what those arguments mean and how this function works, it makes it a lot easier to understand um, what Einstein is is trying to trying to accomplish. Now, I've put some text here. You can you can review the text and it might make sense to review the text and then just rewatch the animation in, in episode 16 until this makes sense to you. Ideally it it should make sense. And, and when it does the rest of the derivation the rest of Einstein's derivation should fall into place. Okay. So I want it to remind you of this particular slide because it has some key terms that are used in that time function. The main one is right here. So it gives meaning to this because we know that you either subtract that from the long line, or you add it to the short line. And by doing that, you come up with one half of the total oscillation, either time or length, depending on uh, whether you multiply the resulting equation by C or not. So let's look at what Einstein does. And we're going to, again, use the formal specification. So just walking through, we say that xi is C times the time to go along the xi axis, um, and that's defined as c times tau with a certain number of arguments. So he passes in x prime, y, z, and then x prime over c minus v. Um, once you do that, you plug that into the function body, you get an instantiated equation, which we then simplify to the final form. Um, so it makes it pretty straightforward. Once you see it as a formal, uh, formally invoked specification, you know what's going on. Now, a couple of things to point out to your attention. You'll notice the instance variable that we use versus the function name. Again this is done for clarity to show that this is time along the x-axis. So let's take a look at what's going on on the y and the z-axis. Again we do the formal uh, invocation. In this case we invoke it with 0 y z and then y over the square root of c squared minus v squared. This is for our transformation along the y-axis. And for our transformation along the z-axis, we invoke the tau function with 0, y, z, and z over the square root of c, c squared minus v squared. Again, we get the function, the instantiated function, or the instantiated equations, and then we simplify that uh, to, to give us our resulting equations. So both of the, both of these Um, all of these so far correspond with Einstein's equations. We no longer are overloading tau as both a function name and a variable. So that's very important to us. We have three different values for tau and that makes sense. We have the amount of time that we need it to go along the x-axis, the amount of time we need it to go along the y-axis, and the amount of time that we need it to go along the z-axis. So we now have six equations. This is where Einstein substitutes x prime with its value, which is x minus vt, and we get the resulting six equations. Not four, as we'll see in Einstein's case, but six. So we have our three transformations for length, one for the x-axis, one for the y-axis, one for the z-axis. And we simply divide those by c, to get their respective time equations. Now, one of the nice things about doing this is that this is algebraically consistent with the, the work that we, we saw on the previously, previous two slides. The other thing I wanna point out is beta. Notice how we have a beta squared term for the things going along the x-axis, but we have beta um, for the things going along the y and the z-axis. Um, Beta is just we've set it there to one over the square root of one minus v squared over c squared and this is just a a way of us making it easier for us to write the equations. We haven't changed anything Uh, so all of these equations still correspond to the equations from the prior two slides so that's an important point for us to remember. So what do we know? Well we have those six equations And what are they? Well, we know that they answer half. So three of them answer half the length. The other three answer half the time. So that's how these six equations come into play with one another. That said, I would like to talk about Einstein's tau equation. And how did he come up with that? Well, again, if you go back to the functions and the specification that we gave when we said that tau was a function. Remember, I gave it to you in two ways. One that had x prime, y, z, and t as the parameter list, and one that had k, l, m, and n as the parameter list. Well, if you try and simplify the function, and let's say you made a mistake, and you you treated it as an equation, and you replaced x prime with x minus vt. Well, if you do that in the first one, you'll get this tau equation. If you do it in the second one, you won't because you have different parameters. That just tells you that, oops, you know what, we were supposed to do a function invocation. This is a function, not an equation. So what would a function invocation look like? Well, I've shown you here that a function invocation to create this equation would be x prime, y, z, and t. Now, So so I'm doing this for two reasons. Number one, I'm showing you that you can create this equation if you use this particular uh, this particular invocation. But I'm showing it to you because this invocation doesn't exist anywhere in Einstein's paper, either as text or as math. So while it's possible for us to do that, and there is a specific meaning that you can associate with this equation, Einstein does not do that, and so therefore his tau equation is not supported, and we'll come to that later on. The second thing I wanted to talk about is you'll also notice the correct use of a beta squared term. Again, we don't want to lose a beta term, and which we will do when we look at Einstein's derivation, his original work. So having said that, let's now take a look at Einstein's original 1905 derivation and see what he's done. So number one, you'll notice that he writes tau equals, well, right off the bat, is this an equation or is it a function? We lose sight of the fact as to which it is. Number two, he doesn't explain either the the arguments, which variables can be replaced, which ones can't, nor does he explain what the function does. Now, most people who support special relativity just say, well, this is the adjustment to time, and that's the extent of the amount of detail that they go to. I encourage people to really understand the meaning of this function and whether you agree with my interpretation or you disagree with it, then that's fine. I do invite you and I encourage everyone to come up with a detailed meaning as to what the function means, how it works and what the different arguments mean and how they work. That's the only way to really understand Einstein's derivation. Now, another thing I'm going to point out, and it's the last bullet under key points, is Einstein says that this function only return will return uh, zero when time is zero. Well, that's not completely true because x prime also needs to be zero. So keep that in mind when, when you're going through the work and when you're studying the rest of, of the text and the words that uh, Einstein writes. So let's look at his... Xi derivation again. There, his derivation is done in an informal sense. Now, a couple of things about the informal sense of the derivation. When he says um, x prime over c minus v equals t, you have to be very careful here because algebraically, uh, this one gets past some of our defenses if it's if it's treated algebraically. And the reason we say that it gets past our defenses is t is on the right-hand side. Remember, when we use Einstein's equations, we get to specify x, y, z, and t. And by having it appear on the right-hand side, our brains tell us, oh yeah, that's something we get to specify. And it doesn't lock to the fact that, wait a second, Einstein's actually setting t to something, which would have happened if it was if it was on the left-hand side. But... As I've talked about earlier, this is actually an informal function specifica- invocation. So he's really not setting T to something algebraically. He's really doing a replacement of T from a function perspective. And again, for those of you who aren't comfortable with how functions work, I know this is a, a difficult perspective to, uh, to, to really understand. The second thing I wanted to point out is that when you look at x prime, we can ask the question, what is x prime? Is it a length or is it a point? Well, in order for this equation to make sense, it is a length. And if it's a length, then so is x minus vt. And that changes our understanding of, the, the, of Einstein's work. So again, just some nuances for us to consider. Um, as we go through the work. The last thing I wanted to point out is even though it's an informal specification, technically Einstein should have said x prime equals x prime because again we have to show what the um, uh, actual argument is against the uh, parameter. Now having said that, I think that that would have been highly confusing had he really written that. So I'm actually glad that he did not write that or Um, people would have looked at that and gone, what is he talking about? So when we look at Einstein's derivation for the y and z axes, again, the same thing happens here. You can see that he sets t uh, to a value and he sets x prime to a value. Now, a little tricky because um, on this one, T's on the on the right hand side and that's that's the um, local variable uh, then he shows X prime on the left hand side but that's the local variable so the the syntax is not as clean as it could be nonetheless it is still a valid invocation and of the fu- of the tau function for both the Y and the z axis um, now I would I would have hoped that instead of saying C times tau um, that he would say c sub tau sub something so that we can see that this is um, also an instance variable but again this is if you understand what's going on you can make sense of it and just keep note keep note of the fact in your mind that this tau is different than the other tau that we saw earlier because it's a different invocation again I would have liked to have seen specific instance variables but if you understand instance variables and functions then you understand what's going on here so Einstein then substitute x prime with it, with its value, which we know from our earlier conversation is x minus vt, puts that in, and we come up with our uh, three axes transformations, and we come up with the tau transformation. Now, a couple of things to point out here. Number one, he drops a beta term from, from all of these equations, um, just gone. And that's a problem because he doesn't explain why it's gone mathematically. It just drops. Uh, and number two, tau was simplified as an equation, and it should not have been. It should have been either invoked first, or he should have done the three different taus that he invoked uh, for each of the axes. So this particular tau is a problem because it does not have an invocation with it. It's a, it's a um, simplification of an equation and did not take into account that it was a function So for those of you who remember this diagram, again, the animation from episode 16, you can look at what's going on, and hopefully these equations make a little bit more sense now. So we have an equation that tells us how long it takes to get to the other side when we're moving. And if you want it to know how long it is, you just multiply that by C. Then you have an equation that tells us how long it gets to the front, that's the long line equation. But we also know how to compute half of this total round trip distance. And, and we've shown that before. And again, that's what our equations um, do for. So I invite you to relook at the animation just to, to help ground in the equations that you're looking at today, as well as what, what this means for just a 3D moving system. Now, a couple of things I want to point out. And again, you can use episode 16 to help your understanding here. And that's the difference between a point and a length. You'll notice here that Einstein basically talks about a ray of light moving in an increasing direction along the X axis or moving along the other two axes. Um, So he's moving just as we described, just as is animated. In episode sixteen, so his text supports what we've animated. That's really nice, but also I'm specifying. I've given you the formal um, function invocations on on the right hand side, just so that you can also see what's going on um, as, as well. Remember, our first argument is where we arrive along the x axis with respect to the moving system. So along the um, x axis array of light would arrive at x at time x prime minus uh, over c minus v. Along the y or the z-axis, well we're still at zero from the perspective of the moving system. So that's why we have a zero there and how long did it take us to get to where we want it to get? Well that's the time equation, that's the fourth parameter. So again if you have an understanding of what the function does this makes sense, and hopefully, this slide, the prior slide, and the animation in section 16 will start to make a little bit more sense as well. So that wraps us up from our conversation today. I would like to uh, summarize a key, a few key points, and I think we've hit on hit on these. Number one, in Einstein's 1905 paper, tau is a function, which means. That it has to be invoked before it's simplified we have to do that if you do that um, and you treat the instance variables properly you get six equations not four and you and you won't end up with with the tau equation that einstein actually comes up with The second thing that is important to point out is that Einstein dropped a a beta term from the final equations. Now this is actually an interesting one because Lorenz does the same thing in his 1904 derivation. So you know it does beg to question uh, was Einstein familiar with Lorenz's work or the other way around or perhaps they were all they were all aware of someone else's work. I don't know, but the fact that Einstein and Lorentz both use beta and both drop the term kind of suggests that there may be some sharing of knowledge there. Einstein does not explain how the tau function works, and I haven't seen explanations outside of it's the adjustment to time. So we've offered a little bit more of an understanding. And again, I invite you to explore my explanation of the function and to create your own. However, it's very important to know that, in my opinion, if you don't understand what the function does and how it works, that's going to be really hard to either successfully defend special relativity or successfully challenge special relativity. You have to understand that function. And of course, the corrected equations are algebraically sound, and however, if you use the approach that's in Einstein's 1905 derivation, regardless of whether you view it as functions or or algebraically, um, there is a problem that can be detected through algebraic means. So that brings us to the conclusion of episode 17. I want to thank you for joining me today and um, hopefully this has been informative and educational. Please let me know if you have any questions. You can reach me at um, email at relativitychallenge.com. As always, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast series and about the work, and look forward to um, having you join me again next time. Until then, be well.